Welcome to the Programmatic Digest, a podcast dedicated to review industry headlines and trends in the programmatic and digital ad tech world. I'm Ellen Parker, your host and Chief Programmatic Sensei of Ellen Parker Consulting, where we offer customizable training in programmatic media. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining to the Sunset's Corner. Today we have Tyler Bryant who will be joining us. This live stream is also um, is also going live, no pun intended, on Facebook Live and on YouTube Live via my podcast, the Programmatic Digest Podcast, um, YouTube channel, of course. So we're super excited about this. And um, like I said, this whole week we will be joining together and um, we are going to let Tyler in in a few minutes to discuss all things Solomar. All right, y'all. Y'all got to be kind to me because I am. Yay, I did it. Hey, How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I've been well. I've been well. So I'm uh, super excited to have you here. This is my first time going live, so I'm kind of nervous, but we're going to get it done. You know, we're going to get yeah. it done. Um, we'll make it happen. So I'm um, super excited to have you here. How are you doing? Yeah. How's your summer been? My summer has been pretty good. It's been pretty eventful. It's been pretty busy. There's uh-huh. been a lot going on in the industry as well to keep up with. So uh-huh. that's uh-huh. added uh, some to my plate, but there's also been some cathartic good news coming from Google um, yeah. in terms of them delaying the uh, deprecation of cookies and Chrome, at least. Um, it might actually be all of their platforms. I'm not positive on that, but that at least has been cathartic and helpful. Um, unfortunately, though, the most uh, most recent iOS update has been a little bit uh, of an issue to keep yeah. up that is, that's a good way. Okay, so before we get into this conversation, um, I want to welcome everybody that is uh, currently streaming via LinkedIn Live, via Facebook Live, via the podcast YouTube Live um, link. I'm super excited about this week. We are going to focus on doing lives every day at the same time. That's 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, Eastern t- Standard Time, I believe. And um, it's probably going to be about 30 minutes, not more. This is simply a quick lunch. Um, uh, session to highlight a particular topic, but the theme for this uh, this season and the theme for this week is to focus on deciding on partnership and vendors and highlighting how important training is for our team. So Tyler, before we get into today's conversation on Solomar, the tree desk and other highlights in our industry, I'm going to quickly introduce myself. Uh, for those who don't know me, I am Ellen Parker. I am the host of the Programmatic Digest podcast, which is available on all major platforms. This is a shameless plug. I am the founder and chief programmatic sensei of Ellen Parker Consulting, which is just a consulting agency where uh, we help our agency partners become 25% more efficient. And how do we do that? Super simple. We provide customized plans, uh, customized training, sorry. We um, provide in-depth analysis on active accounts and we focus on programmatic and paid digital. So I wanted to start here. I want to fully introduce myself to everybody listening, anybody on, on the call, anybody viewing. 
And I have my good friend, Tyler, who's been on the podcast. He's like a, a podcast fa- friend and real life friend, <laughs> um, even though we never met. Right. But I felt like we were so like the connection was real the last we're time. We've met in this capacity, though. Yeah, so. I mean, at this point, we're like family. At yeah. this point, we're almost family. <laughs> well, you know, if you saw me around, you'd hopefully wave me down. <laughs> no, I, I would, I would, I would particularly. Um, so yeah, so um, so okay, so this this month I'm doing a special with uh, offering training to all my agency friends, agency partners. So if you're interested, DM me or email info at Helen Parker phonetically Helene Parker Now let's get into today's conversation. I think that uh, it's no secrets, and if you haven't heard yet, I hope you had a good excuse like. You're on vacation, living your best life, having quality times with family. But the Tree Desk launched Solimar. It is their version of saying to Google. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it. This is Fiji says. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna drop <laughs> it. We will try not to curse, um, just in case the little ones are in the back or pets. But that it's their way to show that open web is still a thing, and that wall gardens have. Um, some competition, right? So they announced last Wednesday on like, was it like a conference, a live conference where uh, Jeff Green had a few um, guests, but he really introduced it as like the next big thing, right? Like they're supporting the open web. Um, It's basically, and I'm coding the words from this James Hersher article. It's bringing together data, data onboarding, Targeting and measurement, okay? So that's super important to highlight, especially in, uh, sorry, Matt Barash, but he recently asked us to basically um, retire the word cookie-less. So I'm going to try not to say that, Matt, just for you, because I agree with you. So (laughs) in this... Come up a good bit, so that's yeah. People have not been listening to him, and I think we should. I think we should be. <laughs> but um, so back to Salomar. Uh, so it's it's the big it's a big announcement for the industry. So I wanted to have you on because you, um, I think you're the expert when it comes to looking at partners and vendors. And feel free to DM him directly to ask him questions, consulting wise, whatever you want to do. Uh, but talk to us about what that means for the industry. You know, Solomar, this is like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. Were right. we expecting that? Right. Well, I mean, to a certain extent, I would say okay. yes, no. Yes, mm-hmm. I would certainly expect them to keep up not only with the most recent industry trends, but frankly, as many DSPs do, and particularly in the case of the Trade Desk, they've been known to update their user interface every between 12 and 16 months, it seems like. I think some of the functionality is to make sure that people are actually staying in the platform and continuing to engage and learn all of the functionality that's embedded in it. You know, I think there are so many traffickers, the average trafficker in the trade desk really only has the use case to use a certain subset of the co- of the capabilities and the features mm-hmm. that are endemic to the platform. And I think these product updates that they make, at least in part, seem to be made with the intention of making those features more accessible so that way they can ultimately be merchandised to clients. They can be pitched to clients and advertisers who may not have otherwise had a particular use case for a certain feature. For example, in Solomar, in their most recent update, they have a much more integrated and easily accessible version of their first-party data, particularly when it comes to 
app tracking, when yeah. it comes to mobile device ID, and when it comes to IP addresses. And I suspect a lot of the reason why they're making a lot of these features so easily accessible is because it actually coincides with the release of uh, UID 2.0, which mm-hmm. seems to be the trade desk as well as a lot of other industry players have partnered with them in this capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, the trade desk has come up with an alternative to cookies. And again, I'm not going to use that uh, less <laughs> you were talking about. Um, but this has been like one really big alternative to cookies that the trade desk and a lot of other players have been participating in. There's been one player, to your point, that has seemingly taken a very divergent approach, um, and that would be Google, particularly with the research that they're doing in developing Flock with the IAB. Yeah. Now, that seems to be a really different methodology, and it's a little difficult for me to wrap my head around from what I've read about it, because it seems to be that the cohorts in each segment for a flock audience are going to be so wide that you can basically guarantee that you wouldn't be able to privately identify the people in there. And it makes me wonder practically how precise and how deterministic those audiences have the capability of being compared to audiences that we have currently with cookies and with device IDs um, that are more deterministic in nature and you're able to have a smaller list of users, yes, but a more specific type of intent. Uh, For example, a flock segment might look more like users between 18 and 35, whereas Mm -hmm. if I'm working for a CPG brand, I might be a little bit more interested in buying a segment that has cookies based in it or that has device IDs based in it for people who I know have bought similar CPG products. That seems a little bit more of a deterministic play than what you could get with Flock, at least as it currently seems to me. Now, because there's no integration of that currently with any of the main DSPs, Mm -hmm. I have somewhat of a nebulous understanding of how that would be integrated. But the Trade Desk right now is coming out Mm -hmm. with all of these features that let you manage your first party data because that's going to be more and more valuable as the external sources and the external specificity and deterministic nature of those audiences starts to wane over time. And over time, eventually, those first-party audiences, particularly whatever device IDs, UID-type IDs, or for the time being, cookies that you can extract from those audiences that you were targeting for your own clients and campaigns. Right. I think it's... it's really a good mix. Like it's a good merge of efficiency and like um, just bringing everything into under one, right? Like yeah. we're, we're, we might not be working with like a third party vendor anymore because now the traders allow us to do the media buy and then to do the onboarding within right. one. And I think they said that they were going to focus on one main KPI instead of having like the, the, I'm not going to call them basic metrics because they're not basic, but uh, vanity metrics, standardized metrics, <laughs> such yeah. as CPM, impression count, clicks, and so forth. So I think that's really cool. I was really surprised. I had no idea what Solomon was. I did miss the, the, actually the live event last week because I was uh, I had a training t- day, but um, we there's it was pretty wonderful. They were good. I, yeah, like I, I, I didn't watch the whole thing myself, but I watched okay. a good bit of it. And then I got on Reddit. I'm a, I frequently go so on. So what, what was the, the interweb saying? Tell us what was Reddit saying. Reddit was saying that 
one, somebody fainted. <laughs> and then two, it seemed like there was a little bit of talk about the language that Jeff Green in particular used in the opening part of the speech, which I did actually happen to catch. Um, that seemed like they were references to other entities without necessarily, and I know he did mention Google, um, but there were some other entities that I thought, or I didn't just think, the people on the forum seemed to think that were alluding to some specific developments in the industry, um, particularly when he talks about his analogy with the sword and shield as it relates to privacy. And he mm -hmm. talked about that at the beginning and that some platforms and companies are using privacy as a shield to essentially protect themselves from liability, but also to convince their customers that they will respect privacy and all of its uh, the variances that it would come about technologically speaking, but they also use it as a sword and they'll use it to some entities will allow users to control privacy um, as a means to not let that data be collected by extraneous third parties. And that's sold as it's kind of like anti-data collection is the value and it seems like it was almost as if he was saying that some entities seem to be wielding privacy as a weapon against those who are able to use the data and leverage it to deliver personalized advertising, which, again, I'm just paraphrasing from a forum that I read on Reddit. There are some degrees to which I agree with that argument, but I do think for the most part, there is something really important to be said for kind of decimating walled gardens and allowing, as Jeff Green even said in the presentation, it's really democracy of being able to let all the partners work together that's mm -hmm. ultimately going to yield the greatest net benefit for all advertisers. And companies, again, I'm not going to mention the names of the companies, but those <laughs> entities that maintain walls and don't allow any commerce between partners, between different ad tech verification partners, let alone yeah. media serving or DSP partners. Mm -hmm. um, he seemed to really essentially be making the argument that the net benefit for advertisers in the ecosystem that would also really most enable uh, the best development of ad tech products mm -hmm. was really going to come from not only the participation of entities that are currently walled gardens, but really the willful cooperation um, lowering CPMs, being a little bit more open-minded to placing uh, third-party pixels and things of that nature. They ultimately, it seems to be his argument, and for the most part, I'd say I agree, that that is going to enable innovation within the ad tech space. Got it. So you said quite a few things here, so I'm going to try to recap the best I, my brain can. So we... This announcement is disrupting things, seriously disrupting things um, on the privacy level, right? The utilization of first party data, even though it's two different things. I think as an industry, we tend to use them like they're cousins or siblings when they're mm -hmm. really not. Uh, first party cookies and first party data are very different and right. uh, may have led into some privacy uh, standards or some new privacy laws, uh, maybe. But the reality is that cookies were never intended. And I just want to make it clear here. Cookies were never intended for an advertising purpose. Okay. I'm taking y'all way back. Um, it was never intended for uh, advertising. We made it 
and in Matt's Barash, um words, and I'm quoting him because I just listened to the Agustin podcast, but he said that it was almost like a drug. And unless it's mandated, like people were just using it just like a drug. Um, and no, and yes, I am referring to third party cookies as a negative things, right? <clears throat> Even though I use it in some of the campaigns I'm managing consulting on. So it was intended for user experience. That's what publishers' main focus are user experience. Uh -huh. I'll give this example. Whenever anyone logs onto a website that they visit very often or onto an Amazon, the first thing when you scroll down, you'll see recently viewed products that are similar. That is yeah. what the cookie is intended for, to help that user experience so that we don't go back from scratch. Oh, snap, I don't think I ordered that pair of shoes. Actually, there's Steve Madden's version over here. I'm going to get those. Right. I'm So that's why the cookies was intended. And so third-party cookies was born from that um, and was never intended. And the, re the, the, the thing with the privacy is that um, we don't even know any personal identification, right? A PII. I was bugged on this one. Anyway, right, right. know your personal oh, information. We don't know. We don't, we don't know. As the data. Someone indeed, yes. Publishers have that data because it could be, they have that deterministic data. <clears throat> and that's why in the the conference, at the conference, uh, Jeff, I, I believe he said something, like Jeff Green from the Trick Desk said something about, um, you know, you should be testing different um, solutions. You should be yeah. testing different identity partners. You should be testing hashed emails. You should be testing contextual. He brought in Zeus. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, not Zeus. The Washington Post. <laughs> I, oh, I know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, very, very cool. Like I, I, I watched the whole thing twice because that was like fascinating. I'm not very familiar with that, uh, with the Zeus platform, but I thought it was really fine. So if you're listening to this, I um, saw them. I personally think Salomar is great to hear. I think it's going to give buyers, advertisers, and agencies the benefit of doing everything under one platform. It's going to allow us to uh, be more competitive against wall gardens. We're going to have transparency, guys. Like We will be able to control pricing and costs like you just met. Um, that's why I think <laughs> you wanted to make sure to step away from the standardized Uh, metrics like a CPM or whatever to an actual KPI. He wanted to really promote the fact that um, conversion, hard conversion are not only sexier to some of the buyers like myself, but they bring in more, um, not data, but they are able to give us a correct and more transparent picture when it comes to determining like that, that consumer journey, right? If you're, if you're measuring and capturing that, that, uh, that user uh -huh. in all those channels. So I think it's really going to arm us now. Now, how let's, let's chat about adoption. What do you think the adoption rate would be for Salomar in the industry? You know, it's so funny you say that because I was sort of going to segue into a very similar topic myself and that whenever an app, whenever an update like this happens, I was just thinking about this like an hour ago too. It's basically the first two to four weeks of the update. I will use it sparingly and I'll like, I'll switch back to the old UI, use that like 75, 85% of the time. Okay. Then there will be a four-week period of, like, 50-50 use that I personally, I really, like, will feel more comfortable with the old interface, but I'll continue exploring a new one. And okay. then it generally takes me 
about over the course, a total of 10 weeks, maybe to fully feel more comfortable in the new user interface than I felt in the old one. And for me, that's kind of just a personal learning curve thing. I think that's really going to be subjective to a lot of users. But to the point that we were talking about earlier, I think ultimately a lot of the purpose of these updates to begin with and why you would want to make the adoption is because it makes more of the features more easily accessible to mm. users that might not otherwise look for those features and functionalities. Yeah. Not only third-party vendors, but endemic solutions and mm. solutions to actually hash your own first-party data directly into you know the UID 2.0 solution that they're using, mm-hmm. um, or potentially if they end up adopting another solution, they if they have the data already hashed for UID 2.0, in theory, they should be able to use that for other types of uh, first-party data onboarding. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And, 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 and another thing, too, that, that they mentioned is that now they created, what, TD7, which is the venture capital side of the oh. Yeah, that, so I'm very that I was like, oh snap! This is going to be the next um, holding companies. Okay, they mark my really word. Are kind of posturing themselves exactly like two to three They're years from now. Things now. <laughs> yeah, two to three years from now, this is going to be the next. It's going to be like TD Seven and holding. Like, watch, watch. But right. I don't think it's a bad thing. Again, um, there are some some big guys in the industry that are calling the shots in terms of how the the industry is swaying sometimes. And um, I think that is definitely going to be a good disruptor. I, I like that idea. I think it's really cool. Yeah. I think, honestly, it, mm-hmm. to your very point, if they kind of become more of the holding company persona, kind of a mm-hmm. big tech company, what makes me feel better about the trade desk being that rather than another player is that they mm-hmm. really have explicitly made it clear that they want to remain open and they want to not be a walled garden or necessarily enable others to be Mm -hmm. walled gardens, which is markedly different from most other players in the space. I mean, even companies that make DSPs, most of them own some of the media that they're selling within the DSP. So you would think algorithmically, it would behoove them to prioritize their own media and Mm -hmm. serving at a DSP but you find that that's a much less objective way and frankly can stifle your ability to have optimal performance. Yeah. So I think the fact that they really are so dedicated to openness and transparency, not only for users, but frankly, as for the whole industry, even if they deviate into other spaces with their venture capital firm and, you know, they started as a DSP and now they're like going into like a privacy space It seems like if any company is going to be doing stuff like that, I'm at least grateful that the company who Mm -hmm. is, has such an explicit value. Gives us options. Yeah. Yeah. Gives us options. And again, transparency is a big thing. You know, it's a big thing in our industry and we're not doing a great job at it. We're not, we're not. Transparency on the consumer side, which we wouldn't be in this position. Oh, exactly. Like, yeah. exactly. So um, I think this was a great conversation. So any last questions or comments, feedback do you have for everyone listening? Um, what would be the next best step with this knowledge? Obviously, we can activate on this this uh, this announcement right away. 
what would you recommend somebody listening? Like, oh, snap, another thing I have to pay attention to know. Chill, 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 chill. Breathe in, breathe out. Um, let it in, let it out. What do you want to advise that person listening with this I announcement? I would say if you're a current customer at the mm -hmm. trade desk, explore the platform's capabilities. I think mm -hmm. you're better off going in the platform and mm -hmm. basically pressing and clicking on a different a bunch of different buttons mm -hmm. looking for things that you're not familiar with mm -hmm. and trying to see what they are. So you're at least mm -hmm. armed with a knowledge. I think their training sessions that they have at the trade desk are great. But at the end of the day, I think they speak to more macro mm -hmm. influential concepts within advertising and ad tech rather than focusing on their own platform itself. So I would really recommend going into the platform and exploring it. And if you're not currently a trade desk customer, but you're advertising programmatically, I would at least recommend researching the capabilities that have come out okay. with Solomar in particular yeah. um, mm -hmm. to make sure that whatever solution that you are using is keeping mm -hmm. up with the Joneses, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you never want to fall behind. And there's always trade-offs to selecting any DSP. And it's not to necessarily say that because Solomar's out, it's hands down always 100% going to be the best DSP for every person in every advertising situation. Um, yeah. but you should be at least armed with the knowledge to know what you're using and why you're using it instead if you are using something else. Man, that's no better way to end this this uh, quick live stream. I am super grateful that you got on here. I, I know it was really quick, too. <laughs> it was literally us talking on uh, when? On Friday or Thursday, and we were yeah. like, let's just do it. Let's just do mm -hmm. it. That's yep. it. Let's just yep. do it. So I appreciate I'm, you. Alan, thank you so much for having me on. And I'm always <laughs> happy to talk shop. I get, I mean, as you could tell, I get really excited about this. I love having you. <laughs> so yep. hit me up anytime. I, I'd love to participate. And I've really enjoyed listening and watching uh, a lot of the most recent content that's come up. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Thank you. Actually, we just got a question from Ashton Fowler, a good friend, uh, good friend of mine too. Shout out to him. He is your performance marketer. If you And he offers courses. So hit him up if you need any training on performance marketing. Um, but he's asking the best method to splitting budget between DB360 and TTD. Um, I'm, I'm gonna let you take that one and then I'll tell okay, you yeah. what I think. <laughs> yeah, I do have some specific thoughts on that actually. Mm -hmm. I think first and foremost, you're going to want to consider the goals of the campaign. Mm -hmm. So, he, I'm seeing he's saying, if I have 100k, how should it be split? I think that's going to depend on what the goals of your campaign are okay. and what existing product stack are you using. If you're using, uh, for example, Google Campaign Manager, formerly known as DCM, for attribution as your ad server for deduplicating conversions, then I probably would recommend putting all of the 100K behind DV360 because those two platforms are meant to work cohesively together. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, if you're using even more Google products like Google Data Studio, um, if you're using Google Tag Manager, this really integrates very easily with all of the existing technology. And there's little, there's similar enough in platform and in use that I would say if all of the rest of your technology stack would support using DB360, that's something that I would consider. However, if you mm -hmm. have the luxury of not 
being so integrated with a single company's product stack, I probably would recommend going the extreme opposite direction, particularly if you have a lower funnel goals for your campaigns. If you're running campaigns that are optimizing for product sales, for example, if you're running campaigns that are not really upper funnel where CPMs are going to be your priority, mm-hmm. um, but more lower funnel where you can get deterministic audiences um, and high quality hashing and conversion of first party data. However, that whatever form that data comes in, um, I would probably recommend going the full 100K with the trade desk. What I would not recommend doing is saying that just because DD360 and the trade desk are both big industry players, that you should split 50-50 budgets in some way, because you're going to have inevitable cannibalization. Yeah, yeah. Those Campaigns are going to compete against one another, and then yeah. neither one of them is going to do as well as it would otherwise. I absolutely so I would agree. really recommend, particularly for 100K budget, I would really recommend just picking one and mm-hmm. not splitting it up. That is a great way. That's a great way to address this question. Like, look at your goals, look at your capabilities, look at your tracking system. Obviously, Google made it very easy for them to utilize Google's product, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a disruptor, if you want a better innovative tools integration, I would go with the trade desk, you know, um, they're a leading company. Um, they make it, their, their support is uh, a bomb. Is, is, yeah. You I have mean, to decide. Support, you you got to go with the trade desk. Exactly. Like you got to go with the trade desk. If you're looking at support, like it's, it has to be the trade desk versus Google support. No shade to Google. Y'all are fantastic sometimes. But I, the, the reality is that the trade desk has, this is Jeff Green's vision and we'll end with this. He said, our role, our job at the trade desk is not to, um, uh, is not to trade, but it's to teach people how to trade. So the, like you can talk to any support team members in that company, in that building, whichever. And mm. you can literally know that they're living and breathing about that value. So uh, oh, great yeah. question. Oh, yeah. Great question. At your campaigns, too. And they, it's not, you're not alone. And that's mm-hmm. something that I also really like about the trade desk. Whereas I yeah. feel like yeah. you kind of generally have to rely on yourself a little bit more with DP3. Yeah. The platform's a little easier to use in some ways, so that's not necessarily the word. Listen, like whenever I train a, a team or an agency or whoever you name it, like I always tell them, like all of those DSPs out there have approximately the same settings. It just looks different. Uh, so yeah. you're somehow more user friendly than others. So honestly, if you take a step back and you remember what one DSP offers, you're 99% more have like a higher chance to finding it into a new DSP because to be honest, that's what they. That's, that's what it is, right? That's what it is. But um, so Ashwin asked another pod, another question. It's like, what would be the right mix for branding and conversion? I think, Gabriel, you said it best. Um, it really depends on the media channels that you're trying to accomplish. Again, it goes back yeah. to what Tyler was saying. What's your KPI? What's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish with that campaign? Um, and then you decide on your audience targeting. Then you decide on your channel mills because it goes down to this marketing objectives, audience, consumer. Where's my consumer? media channels, right? And then budget, and then you decide on vendors. Or if you're using a trade desk, which is DSP that incorporates a lot of vendors and a lot of tools, then you're able to do within one. 
Um, so last question, because we are at time. He asked about seeing a lot of fraudulent clicks. So how does Trade Desk address it? Um, I'm pretty sure they have like pre-bid filtering yeah. vendors, like brand safety partners, such as uh, Double Verify, Pure 39, IAS Integral Ad Science. Um, they are also integrated with... Uh, Post data partners, such like a verification and ad verification tool like Method Media, um, yeah. which have been Method Media Intelligence, that's known as MMI. So um, check those out, reach out to them directly to maybe find out. Oh, I didn't know about White Ops. Oh, yeah, White Ops. White Ops is a good one. Thank you, Gabriel. White Ops is definitely a good one. They're well. an awesome company. I had no idea they were per- they were acquired. Wait, White Ops is not called White Ops anymore. So, uh, it's called. Oh, is it not? No, 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 no. It's called, I human something. Word. <laughs> it's called Human Something. Um, but wow. if you Google it, you'll be able to come across. You'll be able to come across it. But um, theme was partnership, vendors, new things, new innovation. Solomon was a great conversation, and Tyler is one of the the best person to have this conversation with us because he knows how to break it down, and he is available on LinkedIn, so you'll be yeah. able to reach out to him. So, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And um, you know what? If there's one thing every single guest tells me on the podcast is that the best thing to advise anybody that works in the industry is to stay curious, to ask questions, and I'm going to add, be courageous. Have courage to ask those questions. Have courage to stand stand up on what you think is best for your clients and for the integrity of the brand that you represent. So have a wonderful day, y'all. Bye. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Feel free to grab today's conversation and show notes, including our guest information on our website, programmaticdigest.com, programmaticdigest.com. See you next week and stay curious, my friends.